0: This is coming to you from San Antonio, Texas, where we have gathered for the Evangelical Theological Society. That's an annual meeting of scholars, biblical scholars and theologians. Uh, from all over the evangelical world and I have the privilege today of talking to three folks who are here for that meeting. They are my colleague at Beeson, Dr. Gerald McDermott, the Anglican Chair of Divinity at Beeson Divinity School, Dr. Craig Blazing, who is the Jesse Henley Chair of Biblical Theology and Executive Vice President and Provost. You do a lot of work (laughs) at Southwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, which is in Fort Worth, Texas, and Daryl Bach, Senior Research Professor of New Testament Studies at Dallas Theological Seminary. Welcome, all of you, my good friends. I'm um, glad to be here. Now, the reason we're all together talking today on this podcast is we're, we're, we're focusing on a brand new book that just came out from InterVarsity Press, edited by Gerald McDermott, titled The New Christian Zionism, Fresh Perspectives on Israel and the Land. That's a fascinating topic, and we're going to talk about that book today and the issues that it raises. Let me begin with you, Gerald. Tell us, what is Zionism?
1: Well, Zionism is the idea that the return to the land by Jews from all over the world in the last 150 years, to establish a homeland for the Jews, is a good thing. Now, that's Zionism, period. Now, of course, that... Uh, Jews have been in the land for over 3,000 years, uninterruptedly. But the massive return in the last 150 years, the idea that this is a good thing, that's Zionism. Now, religious Zionism is the idea that this is a God thing,
0: and it's a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. Okay, and so when we think about Herzl and the movement of Zionism in early 20th century Europe to return the Jewish people to the land of Israel, that would be a part of, would you say, political Zionism? Mm-hmm.
1: Yes, very definitely political Zionism, but Herzl had his own religious reasons, too. He's often miscast as a completely secular man. It's not true. Yuram Hatzoni over in Jerusalem has written about Herzl and his religious as well as secular and political motivations.
0: Now, this book is not just about Zionism, though. It's called The New Christian Zionism. So what is Christian Zionism and what's new about it? Well, basically, Christian Zionism
1: is the idea that the New Testament is thoroughly Zionist, but we've never seen it because we've been trained not to see it. And so it focuses on all sorts all, all sorts of passages in the New Testament, but not just passages individually, but the whole narrative thread of the Gospels and also the Epistles. So, for example, um, um, Jesus, in Acts 1, he says, in a manner of speaking, that the kingdom of Israel will be restored. In Luke 13, he says, One day Jerusalem will welcome me. So, Jesus is looking forward to a future for the Jews as a people and a future for the land of Israel. Peter, the head of the apostles, says in Acts 3.21, a time of restoration, apokatastasis, is still coming. Now, apokatastasis is the Greek word that's used in the Greek version of the Old Testament time and time again for the future restoration of Israel. And Peter uses that very word. Paul says in Romans 11, when the fullness of the Gentiles has come, then all Israel will be saved. So he's looking to a future for Jews and a future for Israel. And then John, the author of the book of Revelation, the, at, at the back of the New Testament, says the New Jerusalem will have walls in Revelation 21, and, on, and and will have gates. And on these gates will be inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel. So, so Christian Zionism is the idea that the New Testament is Zionist. And we just have yet to fully
2: see this. So we could sing the old uh, Sunday school song, The Bible Tells Me So. Is that right? <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes, I like that. So yeah. this is, this is not,
0: you're not presenting this as some new idea that's come to you kind of out of the blue, but rather drawing on the revelation God has given us in Scripture and a view that's been articulated throughout the history of the church in different ways by different people.
1: Yeah, and that's the point of the book that this is not just an invention of the 19th century. It's not just an invention of John Nelson Darby uh, and the dispensationalist movement as as much truth as they did have. But this goes back to the New Testament. You see it in the early church. You see it in Justin Martyr and in Irenaeus and Tertullian. They all believe, they all talk about Jerusalem someday in the future being rebuilt, being restored. Now it changes starting with Origen, where he starts to spiritualize all the material promises in the Old Testament about the future of Israel. And then it's picked up by Augustine, who says the future of the Church is here, in what became the Roman Catholic Church eventually. Now, you have various Christian thinkers in the Middle Ages who also, we might say, well, I would say were Christian Zionists, like Hildegard of Bingen, and Joachim of Fiori. But their voices are minority voices, and you really don't have a, a return of, of full-blooded, as it were, Christian Zionism until the 16th century, with the Puritans, primarily. And then in the 18th century, Jonathan Edwards. And interestingly, most of these guys, the Puritans uh, and Jonathan Edwards, were post-millennialists, unlike the premillennialism of later dispensationalism, and they're all believing, they're all talking about a future for the people of Israel, Jews, and a future for the land of Israel. And then in the 20th century, you've got people like Karl Barth and Reinhold Niebuhr, who are Christian Zionists, and Robert Jensen, the great Lutheran theologian today, who's a Christian Zionist, and Gary Anderson, the Catholic, great Old Testament biblical scholar at Notre Dame, who's a Christian Zionist. So Christian
0: Zionism is far larger than we thought, and far older than we thought. Now, Jerry, you've edited this book, but you also wrote uh, one of the opening chapters, A History of Supersessionism. Now, I think what you just gave us is a thumbnail sketch of Supersessionism, going back to Arjun Augustine and so forth, define Supersessionism, and what do you see wrong with it? Yeah. Supersessionism means the church has
1: superseded Israel. The church has replaced Israel. Uh, so that God is no longer concerned about Jews, He's no uh, He's no longer concerned about the land of Israel. Both Jews who have not accepted Jesus and the land of Israel have no more theological significance after 33 A.D. Now, all theologians agree that the Old Testament is thoroughly Zionist. It it, it is about a universal promise of salvation for the whole world coming through a particular man named Abraham and his progeny, and having something to do with the land of Israel. I mean, all Christian theologians agree with that. So that in the Old Testament you have both, both universality of promise and particularity of fulfillment in the people of Israel and in the land of Israel. But then, most of the church has said, and most Christian theologians still say today, that when you get to the New Testament, the particularity drops out. And all you have is the universal You have universal salvation for all peoples, and the particular land of Israel has now become the whole world. And that's
0: essentially supersessionism. Mm -hmm. Now, Greg, let me turn to you. You've written a chapter in this book called Biblical Hermeneutics. How are we to interpret the relation between the Tanakh and the New Testament on this question? Say a little bit about what you were doing there.
3: Yeah, the issue of interpretation is a key issue. People differ because they interpret the Bible differently. And the whole question is, how do you understand the role of Israel in the story of the Bible? Now, as Jerry has said, there has been this tradition in the history of Christian thought that somehow in the story of the Bible, Israel drops out the church has has replaced them, and so all of god 's plans and promises are fulfilled in the church and and along with that, uh, promises about a nation and a land have all dropped out that's That is a common way in which a number of people read the bible but what i 'm really saying in this chapter is that that 's not really an accurate reading of the biblical narrative the the whole story of the Bible takes Israel into account and, and in fact the promises of God to Israel as a nation as a people and a land actually are going to be fulfilled the, the issue really comes down to this has the New Testament changed the story of the Bible I mean everybody knows that in the Old Testament you're reading about Israel there but has the New Testament changed all of that and what I'm pointing out here is that, no, actually, the New Testament does not change that. Uh, in fact, the plan and purpose of God for Israel and for all peoples is affirmed in the in the New Testament. The issue has to do with finding a, a kind of a, a bearing. Uh, you know, the Bible has a lot of books in it, and uh, there are, there are many, many texts in there, and and the question is, where where do we kind of stake a bearing to give us a directional pointer? And what I'm arguing is that when you look at the Gospels and you look at Acts, uh, you you actually find this directional bearing. This comes from when Gabriel, the angel Gabriel, that had had revealed to daniel about the the direction of god's plans for history back in the book of daniel shows up in the beginning of luke and speaks to mary and says that her son will reign on the throne of david forever and then you have the 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 hymns of mary and Zechariah thanking god that he's going to fulfill his covenant promises and then and then you follow that line through the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, as Jerry has already mentioned, in Acts 1, uh, Jesus teaching his disciples, reminding them about the kingdom promises, about the, the kingdom being fulfilled for Israel and the world. And the issue there is just when is that going to happen? Not is it going to happen, but when is it going to happen? And, and he indicates that it's not for them to know the time. But that's a way of affirming that it will happen. It just happens at the time that God, that God chooses. And as Jerry has already mentioned in Acts 3, Peter says that, in fact, the restoration of all the things promised by the prophets will take place. But it will be at the time when Jesus returns. Now, what we find uh, going forward is that uh, this is affirmed by Paul. Paul in uh, Romans that uh, Paul talks about the present situation of, uh, that not all Jews have accepted the gospel but uh, in fact God has a plan that all Israel will be saved and that salvation uh, to be clear is going to come through Jesus Christ this is not there is no salvation there is no other name by which one may might be saved except through Jesus Christ but there's going to be a turning Uh, in which uh, Jews, along with many Gentiles, uh, come to put their faith in Jesus Christ. But the promises of God for Israel and a nation are also affirmed because he says in Romans that the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. They cannot be revoked. They were promised by the covenant. So taking that as a lead and a bearing, Mm -hmm. uh, we can see that the New Testament uh, and the Old Testament actually cohere in a common story of the plan and purposes for all of God's promises. So
0: you know we we can say God is not reneged on His promises and. When the disciples asked that question, uh, "Will the kingdom at this time be restored?" Uh, the, they were not told. Well, no. You know, you've misunderstood this. There's been a change of plan. Uh, the, the the purpose goes on. but Now I have a question. Any one of you can chime in on this because there's what's called today the new, the two covenant theology, mm-hmm. which says that God has a covenant with the Jews and He saves them through their their Jew, Jewish faith, just as He has a covenant with the Christians, and these are kind of in tandem running together throughout history. Comment on that. Is, yeah. it, is it necessary for Jewish
2: people to trust in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord? Well, short answer is yes. Or else Peter and Paul were out of a job. <laughs> <laughs> if Jews uh, through the law were able to be saved, then Peter and Paul were wasting their breath. Mm. So, uh, so in that sense, no. The, the two covenant view is is really, I think, a product, a sociological product of the last century. Mm. And the horrors of the Holocaust, et cetera, uh, and a kind of collective uh, global guilt about Jews that caused people to say let's not bother the jewish people anymore and and out of that came this view that was said to be out of respect but actually is a denial of this very cohesion that we're talking about between the old testament message and what we see in the new testament how christ is israel's king how christ is the fulfillment of israel's promises that both have global reach and at the same time is accomplishing something for the nation. Yeah. So, you mentioned anti-Semitism.
0: Comment on that in terms of this particular view, the new Christian Zionism. Uh, because there seems to be a rise in anti-Semitism in our culture today, other places in the world. Does this view speak to that in any particular way?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, um, I mean, it's... Uh, it, 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 and And... And part of the way it speaks to it is to say there is a place for Israel, but there also is a global reach to what is happening with Christ, and there's a reconciliation that's a major part of the story. Some people, when they hear new Christian Zionism, think that this is only just about Israel, only just about ethnic Jews. But in fact, it's far broader than that. It actually is a way of talking about how to integrate a place for Israel and ethnic Jews in a larger program, in a larger thing that God is doing, into which Israel fits. Don't shove her off to the side, marginalize her, or dismiss her, but see the role, one, she had in generating this to begin with and the role she continues to have as a reflection of God's faithfulness and grace on the other end.
1: Yeah, you know, N.T. Wright has rightly reminded biblical readers that salvation is not only about our individual souls but also of our bodies and also of the nations that the new t- that the book of revelation particularly talks about the renewal of the nations that is to come when you read the book of revelation you see the different tribes and peoples and nations we aren't just going to be all look alike automatons in a totalitarian One world state, as it were. Instead, it's going to be a spiritual federation of nations. And so I think we can look on the promises about the restoration of Israel and even its imperfect but nevertheless fulfillment in in things happening over the Middle East since 1948 in this little strip of land now called Israel as a first fruits, as a down payment on this eventual renewal of the nations. And you know, a lot of Christians ask me when I talk about this, they say and in fact it just came up here at ETS the other day. Well, how can you believe that the present state of Israel is in any sense a fulfillment of biblical prophecy because after all it's supposed to be part of the Messianic era and the Messianic era is supposed to be a time of peace. Mm -hmm. And look at the Middle East. Mm -hmm. Well, we Christians say that Jesus is the King of Peace. And Jesus is the Messiah, even though there's lots of biblical prophecies about the Messiah bringing a time of peace. And we say, well, the coming of the Messiah is a complex event, multi-stage event. He comes in the first century AD, doesn't bring worldwide peace, doesn't bring political peace. He will bring that in, in, in a later stage at his second coming. And we also say, we Christians are adamant that the church is the body of Christ. Even though the church is full of, of fighting and sin and warts and wrinkles, and we say it's still the body of Christ, well, why can't we lend a little bit of Christian charity, a little bit of hermeneutical charity to this nation of Israel and not insist that in order to be a fulfillment of prophecy, it has to be perfect. Well, the body of Christ
0: is far from perfect, and yet we still say it's the body of Christ. I like your term hermeneutical charity. I've never heard that before, but it sounds good to me. (laughs) Now, some of you know there's a movement called Evangelicals and Catholics Together. Mm. Is there any such comparable analogous movement between, let's say, supersessionists and New Christian Zionists together? (laughs) Is there any conversation going on? Uh, between you guys people who agree with you on these issues and others who might take the more augustinian uh, traditional view that uh... spiritualizes israel or says this is a thing that has been overcome in the new christian era
3: there there are conversations that go on uh... there's not um any kind of a you know a, a document type of uh... of thing uh... but i think the the primary concern right now is to clarify what this uh, new Christian Zionism is, because um, for many they they seem to approach it in, um, in in older categories, and so what we're trying to do is to bring forward uh, issues that do need to be addressed, and sometimes are are kind of eclipsed by by other concerns. And I think until that conversation really takes place, it's it's it's, it's difficult to see you know, where um, these conversations might go. I, I do want to, uh, to pick up on what uh, Jerry had said because, you know, the, one of the interpretive questions is, you know, what about the present state of Israel? And that is one of the issues in the conversation between the two groups that, that often comes up because as as i was saying you know when we look at the bible we see a future for israel as a nation people need to see that in the scripture but then there's the question of well you know does the bible talk at all about what's happening today and that's where somebody might object as jerry said well you know we're not really in the 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 final fulfillment of prophecy jesus is not here yet and so uh, how is it that this that's happened today could be seen in any way as as related to what the scripture talks about? And I would I would say a couple of things, um, even from the uh, from centuries ago, as Jerry has already uh, kind of outlined for us. Uh, people began to, to see that the scripture at least raises the possibility that Israel may come back in the land before um, the hearts of the people are changed. Uh, the great promise is uh, in Ezekiel that I'll put my spirit in you and cause you to walk in my ways. But the 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 language in the text seems to indicate that they may be brought back by God into the land before that happens. And in fact, in Isaiah, there are prophecies that he will do exactly that, that he will bring them back into the land, and even before they recognize who he really is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that even that fact of bringing them back into the land is is his signature piece because in the scripture he ties his name to this action of bringing them into the land this goes all the way back to exodus and is repeated in the prophets and and it comes in the form that when you see this when you see that i bring you back into this land then you will know Mm -hmm. and he gives his name the name of the lord Uh, And this is his action, and he will use that to open the hearts and
2: the eyes of the people. Even in Second Temple Judaism, there is this expectation that when this delivering figure for Israel comes, he will purge Israel at the same time that he defeats the nations and establishes his peace. Psalms of Solomon 17 and 18 have this figure working as as much with Israel as he does with the nations so this strand that Craig was just talking about even gets picked up in the syntheses, at least some of them that you see in the second temple period by Jewish writers who are sharing the same kind of hope the great text in the scripture uh, is of course in Zechariah
3: 12 where you have exactly that situation Daryl is talking about with the 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 great uh climax of the judgment of god the time in which god brings judgment on the world and it says that uh they will look upon very interesting text it says they will look upon me whom they have pierced Mm -hmm. and they will mourn as for an only son and and through through many uh decades and many centuries people Christians have seen that text as referring to a future time when the hearts of the people turn to the Lord Jesus. Now Daryl, you have a chapter
0: in this book how should the new Christian Zionism proceed what's the agenda of this
2: uh, movement of thought and say a little bit about what you're proposing well first I did a lot of work on explaining how how the new where the newness is from and, and what people need to understand about what makes this new And so I went through six different levels of newness or at least clarity in terms of what it is that was being said. Things like, this is not just about Israel. It's not just about ethnic Jews. It is about a larger program. There is a sense in which Christ fulfills this. And in the fulfillment that comes with Christ and what Christ does for Gentiles, there's the question of, okay, what's the relationship between Gentiles and Israel? Uh, That question is very real. Part of the hermeneutical issue that Craig was mentioning is sorting out the relationship between the centrality of Christ in all of this, which supersessionists uh, subsume everything under and then do the redefinition work of what Israel is as a result, versus a view that says yes, Christ at the center of this, but the Christ who is at the center of this has also said Israel herself has a future in what it is that I'm doing that distinction is very important in this conversation Mm. because it's still a christological view that we're talking about here with new christian zionism but it's not one that swallows up the distinctions and the reconciliation that's coming off the other side. There's a distinction between the difference between believing Israel and national Israel, as you've heard already articulated. We've already talked about that, which means that national Israel still has moral obligations to the way she treats people in her own land. That that's not something that Christian Zionists are unconcerned about. So, we can talk about an anti-Semitism on the one hand, but this isn't necessarily anti-Palestinian on the other, and so that's an important thing to say. A third 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 thing, a third distinction is, is that it's not as nationalistic as some people think because of this reconciliation element. That part of the part of the way you get reconciliation is you got to have two parties to reconcile. Mm. You know, if they all get swallowed up into each other and they lose their identity in the midst of that swallowing up, you lose the picture of reconciliation that God is actually seeking to achieve. And so it's not as nationalistic as some people think. Um, It needs to focus on... um, Uh, uh, on the fact that this reconciliation is at the center of the story, that the goal of the exercise is it's not just for Israel. It's the way in which Israel and the nations who had been enemies and been apart have been brought together by God to establish the very shalom that is the ultimate goal of everything that's taking place in this kingdom program. It needs to be non-discriminatory in its application of justice. So that, again, because of the reconciliation background that stands behind it, what then comes forward is if you're going to complain about uh, Israel's lack of morality and justice in treating Palestinians, you've also got to discuss the lack of justice and fairness in the way Palestinians or Arabs treat Israel. That this is a two-way conversation, it's a two-way street, and that very much needs to be on the table, so we need to balance out uh, that story. I often say when I go to Israel, I hear the same stories. It's just that different people wear the black and white hats. They just switch places, depending on who I'm talking to. But it's the same kinds of injustice, and both sides lock in on what's been unjust to them, what's been done to them, and tend to cast a blind eye to the way they're handling other people. And then last, and this is the least theological of the six, there needs to be a careful articulation of Israel's legal right to the land as it emerged in the 20th century. In other words, a very clear articulation of how it is that the nation of Israel was formed got access to land and the legal processes by which that happened to undercut claims that what took place was fundamentally uh, on an international level Illegal. So you're talking about like the Balfour Declaration? Yes, exactly. Everything about that history and the way that emerged, mm -hmm. the way in which that dealt with. Now, it is true that there were issues in the way that was done in which it could have perhaps been executed better. But the legal right of being able to do it was, I think, well established. And all that needs to be said. And then the last point of the chapter was having made these these distinctions clear there needs to be conferences there needs to be books there needs to be um a podcast (laughs) Uh, in other words uh digitally i I spent a lot of time talking about the fact that younger people process information not by reading for the most part but by what they hear over the net by what goes Mm -hmm. on digitally the way in which people talk about these things and so part of what has to be focused on is not just communicating this in kind of the Uh, old technical ways that information gets communicated, but also through the digital means that exist. So I thank you very much for this podcast.
0: (laughs) Well, I want to wrap up our conversation. We're about out of time, but the book concludes with five propositions. I'm just going to read them and ask one of you, any one of you, to comment briefly on these. I think this is a good summary of what this uh, book proposes. Number one, Israel shows us who we are and who God is. I think Israel shows us who we are before God
1: at both our best and our worst. She demonstrates God's creation of human beings with capacity to trust in him and the human predilection to reject God. Number two, sacred history is not over. Well, if, uh, a very important 20th century um, theologian, Jean Donnelly, observed that biblical prophecy is the announcement of the fact that at the end of time, God will accomplish works still greater than in the past. And it means that we can expect in the latter days that that the unfolding of sacred history will continue.
0: Number three, eschatological fulfillment is both revealed and hidden.
3: That sounds like a Craig question. (laughs) Well, you know, in Isaiah, the Lord says, uh, Behold, I'm doing a new thing. Will you not see this? In fact, he, he, he does things, but what, what he does is in line with the, with the revealed plan and purpose of God. Now, there are things that are unrevealed. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so uh, much of what takes place in history, uh, the Lord has not revealed in its details before it happens. What we know is, of course, the big story. But we do know some very specific things that are going to happen. And when we see Israel coming back into the land, there is a divine signature uh, in that historical activity that does need to be recognized in accordance with Scripture. And so we know the return of, of Jews to the land
1: is a fulfillment of biblical prophecy. And we know that things are going to be happening in the future. But the exact precise Details of how and when the timetables and the, the timetables um, mm-hmm. and the schedules the new Christian Zionism is saying we are eschatologically agnostic on
0: all those deep agnostic is a bad word. I don't like that word <laughs> well but you're, we, you're saying we just don't know That's we right. just don't know. Uh, <laughs> I know what you mean it's part of God's mystery.
2: Yeah. The other thing that's important here is that there's a revealing and hiddenness in the way in which this is progressively disclosed within the Scripture. So get uh, in the New Testament, you get the description of the scribe of the kingdom finds things both new and old, side by side. And so the idea here is, is that you've got things that have been revealed, but the linkages, how the puzzle pieces fit together is not always clear. But as we get more and more, we get more pieces dropping in. But when you do that, it's very important to recognize, you don't lose the piece that you had, okay? The piece that you had is still there. The question is, how does it link to the new piece? The new Christian
3: Zionism is is not one monolithic view Mm -hmm. on all Mm -hmm. things. It's it's really a a gathering, uh, a a kind of a coalition uh, that affirms uh, that fact that God not only has a future for Israel, but uh, the present state of Israel, what God is doing there, is part of that overall plan. There are there are eschatological patterns there are uh, revealed things about the future but basically you know from from my perspective in the scripture all of these are tied to a coming that we don't know the timing of it mm-hmm. uh, in fact that's what was said uh, to by Jesus to his uh, disciples in Acts 1 it's not for you to know that time mm-hmm. and so in the meantime we have a a mission we have a mission to take the gospel to the entire world and that includes Jerusalem and Judea not only as it was but as it is now and the the future for everyone whether Jew or Gentile individually needs to come back to the issue of personal faith in Jesus Christ because none of us have a future except through the forgiveness of sins and salvation.
2: And that Acts yes. 1 passage is important because Jesus doesn't say to the question, is this the time you're restoring the kingdom of Israel? Oh, you've got that all wrong. Mm. He pulls out his hair and gets a bald spot on the top <laughs> of his head because he's frustrated with the disciples. that they've even asked this question. They've misunderstood what he's told them for 40 days when he's explained the Old Testament fulfillment to them. They're still expecting that there is a place for Israel in the program of God. For this fulfillment is not in its final stage.
0: Well, sort of this follows up on what Greg just said, that, that, that we
1: cannot know the unfolding of the end times with any precision, but we can know that this stage of fulfillment is not the final one. There are still more things to come. There's always tension between promise and fulfillment of any prophecy. And, and we need to live with that tension.
2: The, the Acts 3 passage is also important because this apocatastasis that you started off with, this restoration, is directly connected to things the prophets have already said. So if you want to know the outlines and the contours of what this looks like Peter is saying in Acts 3, read your Hebrew scripture. It tells you. Mm. Now this fifth uh, proposition, I'd like for all three of you to comment
0: on it. Israel and the church are integrally joined. I'll start by saying,
1: you know, we theologians would would, uh, talk about the scandal of particularity, that the Enlightenment had such a hard time with the fact that God's revelation would not be given in the same way throughout all of history to all peoples, but instead comes to a very particular people in a particular land at a particular time in history. This was scandalous for the Enlightenment and particularly the 18th century deists. Well, you know, most of, ortho, uh, all of Orthodox Christian theology has said, well, that's the way our God is. That's the way the true God is. Who is the God of Israel? Who comes through a particular man named Abraham, and then the particular Israelite named Jesus Christ in a particular land, in, in a particular time, the first century AD? Well, what the new Christian Zionism proposes is that the scandal of Zionism, and it is a scandal for many Christians and peoples all over the world today, is the 21st century version of the scandal of particularity. Just as he did thousands of years ago, God comes to the world again, universally, but through a particular people in a particular land. He's done that for millennia, and he continues to do that
3: today. I would uh, say that uh, it's important to know that uh, Israel and the church are not the same thing. And that's why in the story of the Bible, the church has not replaced Israel. Israel is a nation. Uh, It's a nation that God uh, has granted a specific territorial existence there are other nations in the plan of God. The plan to Abraham, revealed to Abraham, was to bless all nations in you. But that blessing to all the nations manifests itself in the way in which salvation comes to each one individually, whether Jew or Gentile. And the the great blessing that's revealed to us in Christ is that whether Jew or Gentile, we're united to Christ by faith in him. And our sins are forgiven, and we're indwelt by the Holy Spirit, and so consequently, it's that it's that uh, spirit wrought unity of persons with Christ, which is the Church, and that includes Jews in Israel today who believe in Yeshua, whose faith is in Yeshua. That includes Gentiles um, or Jews in the United States, or in any country of the world, who put their faith in Him, they are part of a of this spirit wrought union that we refer to as the Church. But this doesn't exclude the existence of peoples nationally and God's plan for them territorially, politically as well. And so there we see that the Church and Israel are connected, but they're not. But they're not the same things, and it's this. Then it's this distinction that's important to understand the integrity of Israel in the plan and the promise of God, and how the whole of the story of the Bible is moving toward its conclusion. And the
2: thing that brings that all together is at the center that the, the the figure who connects them to each other is Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. This is a christologically um, centered uh, theology in which. Christ is doing something on the one hand for individuals and gathering them together in a transnational structure on the one hand, but God is also about, through Jesus Christ, restoring shalom on the earth and to the nations side by side with one another. My joke is is that when Jesus comes back Um, We will not debate who the Pope is. (laughs) Uh, and, And in the midst of that, we will see him at the center of a kingdom. And how do you have peace? You bring reconciliation to those groups that have been at each other's throats. And so that's what is pictured here. So a role for Israel doesn't discount a role for the church. You can have them side by side. And the unifier in all of it, and this is a wonderful place to kind of Conclude, the unifier in all of it is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the Lord and Savior of
3: everyone who puts their faith in him personally, whether Jew or Gentile. And he's the king of Israel and the king of all nations. The king of
0: Israel and the king of all nations. I've been talking about a brand new book called The New Christian Zionism, Fresh Perspectives on Israel and the Land. My guests have been Dr. Gerald McDermott, Anglican Chair of Divinity at Beeson, Craig Blazing, who is Vice President and Provost at Southwestern, and Daryl Bach. Senior Research Professor of New Testament Studies at Dallas. Thank you all for this conversation. It's Thank our you. pleasure. Thank you. Thank you. You've been listening to the Beeson Podcast with host Timothy George. You can subscribe to the Beeson Podcast at our website, beesondivinity.com.